Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Toxic culture. It's everywhere in the news, but what does it really mean? How does it form, and how can you fix it? That's what we're going to talk about today. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm in the studio with Sean McCarthy. Hi, Dominic. And Liana Sangster. Hey. So what on earth is a toxic culture? Yeah, look, that's a great question. And and, uh, before we go too far, at the risk of sounding slightly pedantic for two seconds, toxic is not a technical term, it's a media term. We would uh, more appropriately use something like dysfunctional culture. But anyway, talking about a toxic culture as it's used in the media at the moment is a culture where people appear to behave in ways that are the exact opposite of how you would expect them to behave, given the espoused values of the organisation. So two very good examples in the media right now, church organisation that you will have read about, where paedophilic priests have been uh, hidden from the justice system, and you would expect if an organisation espouses Christian beliefs that they would be into seeking forgiveness rather than hiding. And the other is in the financial sector, where if you're dealing with a wealth management company whose stated goal is to help you increase your financial position, and then find that, in fact, they're actually charging you fees for services they don't provide, then that's the exact opposite of what you expect. So I think, summary, toxic culture equals they do the opposite of what you'd think they'd do. Sean, what about an organisation that might have, in our language, a very aggressive values, and so they think that's right, but those values might also be, you know, lead them to be bullies or exploit people or whatever. So it's not a contradiction in that sense, but it's not kind of healthy, not pro-social. Well, in some respects, it is a contradiction because every organization's value set has to reflect the wider societal values within which it functions. And so if it has these aggressive values that are contrary to what we expect from the wider society, so we expect, for instance, some sense of inclusion and I can have my say or whatever because I get to vote every four years and all these kinds of things. But if I don't get to have my say within an organization, then it's, it's the antithesis of what I expect. And so that type of aggressive, again, toxic culture is behaving differently the way in which you'd expect it to function. So, Liana, we talk about a toxic culture, and people throw that term around a lot. But what does it really mean? What does it look like on the ground? So, I mean, I really like Sean's description there. When I think about toxic culture, I guess, when I'm observing it and stepping into some of these client businesses, what you notice is that people seem to spend more time protecting themselves, staying away from threat, keeping themselves safe, than they do thinking proactively, putting their effort towards achieving great results, building great relationships and focusing on customer outcomes. And so what you notice is that there's a lot of anxiety and stress in a, in a toxic culture which pulls away from productivity ultimately. And is it always the same? Is it always this aggressive culture? I think that's in the media, that's kind of the one we're familiar with, right? It's the bullying claims, the harassment claims, ripping off customers, whatever it is. Well, I mean, it's not always the same. And I think Liana makes a very, very good point that when we talk about a dysfunctional culture, get away from the toxic word, it's a culture within which people are primarily concerned with keeping themselves out of trouble, keeping themselves safe, being defensive rather than focusing on achieving the task we may be focusing more on protecting ourselves. And there are two ways our research shows that can function in organisations. On one hand is what we call passive defensive cultural norms, on the other aggressive defensive. So 
The aggressive defensive is the stuff you see in the media, or bullying, harassment, and all that kind of stuff. But equally, there's the passive defensive. So everybody's been in a position, I'm sure, in their career where they've had to make a decision, and their primary concern has not been whether it's a good decision, but actually whether it will get them in trouble or not. And so that's a passive defensive culture. I've actually seen a funny example of perhaps a blend between the two. It's like a kind of Cold War uh, example where it was in an office I visited and on the surface, it was quite pleasant. You know, people would, oh, good morning, all this. But there was this weird Cold War. So they'd agree something in a meeting, but then afterwards, you know, they'd be locked out of the system by the other team so they couldn't actually do it and stuff like this. And it was there was a lot of politics going on. So a lot of career building, a lot of whispering in people's ears and so on. And so it wasn't an overt kind of shouting match, yeah. but it was just as toxic or just as you know, detrimental, yeah, mm. dysfunctional yeah. to the organization and to the relationship. Because it, but it was weird because they would, on the surface, things were pleasant, but there was an undercurrent of uh, dysfunction yeah. underneath. Look, one of the strange things about constructive cultures is actually they deal with conflict really well. And it can be easily thought that actually the culture should not encourage conflict. But of course, from conflict and differences becomes in, comes innovation and new ideas. So you can often walk into an organization where it's superficially very pleasant, and I think that's what you're describing, mm. which is symptomatic of a passive defensive culture. But underlying it, there's all these political machinations going on. There's who knows who and information is power and all these kinds of things that are so typical in bureaucracy type organizations. Mm. I mean, bureaucracies, again, without the emotive term use of the word bureaucracy, it's just an organization has a hierarchical structure with strong control mechanisms. It's who you know that matters and information is power and people do that and they get sucked into it. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just reflecting on a client that I'd worked on previously, Don, when you were sharing that story and it had come out of a very, it was originally a very passive culture which had kind of been bred out of what you would call a command and control leadership style in the past. And that sort of passive behavioural pattern had really stuck with this particular group of people. And so what you would find is that pleasantry would be what everyone would be doing face to face. but when they would leave the, the meetings or, you know, when they were within their own teams, the conversation would be somewhat, we would disagree behind closed doors, but not with each other. And so you get the passive face-to-face, but then you get the disruptive oppositional is what we would call it, disagree behind closed doors. And it's almost like, I mean, the, the two often go together and we see that in several of our client surveys where they've got low constructive styles and strong, both passive defensive and aggressive defensive styles. So I suppose if you think about it logically, if I'm going to be aggressive, defensive and be successful through that process, then by definition, somebody else has to be passive in order to allow my defensiveness to work. And equally, if we work within a very passive organisation, somebody at some stage is going to get aggressive because not a lot's getting done. Mm. So how do companies end up with these toxic cultures? I mean, is it something, do they set out to do it? Does it just appear? Like, how do we get there where they end up with either the highly aggressive one or the or the passive one. Yeah. Look, I think at this stage, it's important that we're actually clear about what we mean by culture. Mm. A lot of people talk about culture in terms of how people behave. Uh, That's an element of culture, but more correctly, culture is about how people believe they are expected to behave. So it's the behavioral norms. So what's the way we do things here kind of stuff? How do I believe I need to behave in order to fit in and get ahead and in some cases simply survive? So these... These expectations and norms are built over time through what the 
organisation as a system reinforces and punishes by way of behaviour. So if somebody is very aggressive and they are promoted and they are seen throughout the system as being successful, then of course people are going to say, I should behave in an aggressive manner. I don't think it's ever done on purpose. I think it's done inadvertently. And very few people understand the notion of cause and effect between reinforcement systems and behaviour. And I mean, I'll give you a very simple, very, very simple illustration. As we speak right now in Sydney, there is probably at least 100 meetings of, let's just pretend, sales groups going on. So I might be a regional manager and I have 10 area managers or branch managers in front of me, and I'm talking to them about performance. Now, the moment I put up a graph that shows each of those branches or each of those areas' performance on the same graph, where I show area one, then area two, then area three, I will inevitably get sucked into talking about the comparisons. And as soon as I talk about comparisons, what the message is that the people take away with it, it's not how well you perform that matters, it's how well you compare. And so now we're building a competitive culture where people will walk away from that meeting thinking one of two things, or possibly both, I need to beat that other region, or I'll never beat that other region because look at the demographics they've got, way easier than us. And is it also... I mean, I've got to beat that other region. That can either be by selling more or perhaps by undermining that other region. And is that where the toxicity can start creeping in? Yeah, and inevitably where you have an organisation, and again, companies like to think about sports analogies and those kinds of things. You've got to remember that a company functions 24-7. Sports teams play for about an hour and a half on one day a week. Quite different. But what happens when you have competitions? For instance, people no longer share information. So I'm if we're in a competition, I will compete and I'll look for an edge. And one of the edge might be that uh, you don't know where this is going to happen. I do know it's not going to, it is going to happen. I'm not going to tell you. It's interesting with the sports analogy. I know with certain like boxing camps or something, fighting sports, where they you've got to train together with other people. And they have one, some gyms where they'll train together and it'll be tough, but they're trying to improve each other. And there's some where it's kind of all out, all out battles and training and they end up injured and so on. And that's kind of that toxicity in a, in a sporting environment where actually instead of as teammates improving each other, we're working against each other. Mm. Different take. What about the passive style of toxic culture? How do companies find themselves in that situation? How do they find themselves? Well, I sort of touched earlier on, you know, that past command and control leadership style, but it's really not the only thing. And to Sean's point, it's not that we intentionally go out and you know, try to drive people down into that passive space. If I, if I think about a client I'm working with at the moment, there's a, a legacy, I suppose, of very hierarchical decision-making. So what has developed with this particular group of people is there's been a lack of involvement, I would say, in, in making decisions. So decisions get made at the top and rolled down, and so people have been simply following instructions. There's also where industries where people have focused really heavily on processes and procedures. So putting a lot of steps in place for people to follow, creating very narrowly defined job descriptions. So you come in, you do this day in, day out repetitively, and you follow the process and this is the outcome. And so with some of those features embedded in how you have created your business, what you end up with often is individuals who come in, follow the process, avoid making mistakes, don't really understand the whole decision-making process, haven't necessarily been involved. And as a result, they become passive, so highly dependent, potentially conventional, follow the rules, but don't really know what it is they're actually trying to achieve. So it's not linked to an overall objective. And so that can create a bit of passivity in business over time without intentionally trying to do that. 
So is it at the extreme, because there's a bit of that, right? But to get to that toxic level, is it at the extreme, like, I mean, you check your brain at the door and don't dare, don't dare upset anyone. And we've all got to pretend to play nice, even if that's not really what's going on. Yeah, one of the really interesting questions we build in the survey is I have to behave differently at work than I would normally do so. And it's uh, very interesting to see the responses to that. So people are, in effect, checking themselves out at the doorway. I think it's interesting, you know, when you work with clients like this, sometimes you hear these stories that you can't do that because you get fired. And actually, it's not necessarily true. It's an old myth, if you like, that people still seem to hold on to. So punishments for past people having made mistakes and stories about making mistakes seem to have a really deep-rooted legacy, even if they're not true, yeah. I find. Yeah. And, and these cultures do build over time. I mean, like you don't change culture very quickly. It actually takes a long time to build the culture. So if you're an organization that's been going for 100 years, then it's taken 100 years to get this culture. And obviously you don't change that overnight. But it's also got something to do, or a lot to do, with the expectations of various stakeholders. So if you take the local government sector, for mm-hmm. instance, I mean, anybody working the local that sector will know that one of the mantras is don't be on tomorrow morning's front page. And so therefore they become very risk-averse organizations because Somewhere in the past or even now, they might do something that's slightly risky. I mean, I mean, risky in local government terms, and it will be on tomorrow's front page. So the system, the wider system reinforces, just do everything to the rule. Mm. And so the organization becomes risk averse. People become risk averse. Every decision is, will this be on tomorrow's front page? It might be a nice idea to shout everybody to a a nice dinner or something like that because we've had a very successful year. In HR terms, that might be a fantastic idea, but I can guarantee you somebody's going to put it on tomorrow's front page. The council spent $2,000 on staff parties or something like that. And no organisation functions in a vacuum, unfortunately. So it's interesting, Sean. I actually saw that exact example a while ago of an organisation we know has a constructive culture and they were organising drinks or something like that. And They had the goal to let people make a decision about how many beers and how much wine they should buy without specifying exactly how much it should be. So they trusted their judgment and they bought it and there was an outrage that there was no controls in place. And it's interesting because we all complain, oh, government departments or organizations, they're so conventional, they're so rule bound. But (laughs) the second one tries to actually let people make decisions, they get raked over the coals for it. Mm. Is it the same... In the other examples you gave, so you're talking about the finance industry, is it the same with stakeholders in that industry that's driving some of that context? Well, yes. I mean, one of the interesting things in Australia is the superannuation system, where traditionally the general public members are not that interested in the share market, but because most of superannuation funds are going in the equity markets, everybody's looking at the share price. And so this puts huge pressure on the companies to return. So if you have a very, very good year to create an 18% return, pay a good dividend to the shareholders, they don't say, well done, hope you do it again next year. They now expect a 20% return and an even bigger dividend the following year. So one of the issues is success breeds the need for success. And the more the need for success is driven, organizations will look for ways of meeting those expectations that may not be necessarily the right way of going about it. So I've found it interesting with with the whole banking thing going on is now a lot of the shareholders are coming out and voting out boards and and so on. They're saying, absolutely, it should have been about culture and about our values and so on. But I wonder, just a few years ago, before it kind of all blew up, 
they were all calling for greater returns, greater value. Yeah, and I was waiting for something else on your statement when you said that uh, you know they want greater culture, etc. But the rest of that sentence, I think, is, and I also want a 20% return on my investment. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, want the cake and to eat it too. Correct. I mean, interesting though, because as we know, having a constructive culture as opposed to a defensive one actually does return better results in the long term. So I guess the question is, if you're in a toxic culture, if you're a person in there, what can you do to start turning the tide? How can you start shifting towards uh, having a constructive rather than defensive culture? Oh, it's a big question, Dom. (laughs) My immediate thinking when I hear that is it kind of, so my immediate reaction, it kind of depends on, I guess, where you're at in terms of your ability to, to influence and leverage change. If you're in what we would consider a toxic culture, there's lots that can be done to shift culture. It just depends on the appetite for change and who wants to make it happen, I guess, would be where I would start with that. It also depends, of course, on what level you're at. If you're the CEO, then do something about it. If you're working in a production facility or an office or something like that, it's really a case of adapting to it where you need to, role modelling constructive behaviour yourself, having conversations with your manager about how things might be able to be done differently. And ultimately, if that doesn't get you anywhere, well, the, the answer to that becomes somewhat inevitable, unfortunately. So with the, if you're a leader then, we talked earlier, Sean, you mentioned about the reinforcement systems and so on. Yep. So what, what are some of those elements that they can look at and think about what messages are we sending yep. through yep. these things? Well, this is one of the strange things. Organizational structures and systems are designed the exact antithesis of what people want and expect. So hierarchical structures are about me making a decision and you doing what I tell you to do. If you did that at home in your own family or with your friends or social circle, they'd probably look at you and say, no, but you can't do that at an organization. So people need to be involved. People like to be involved. People need to see that their own personal effort can make a difference. And structures are designed to inhibit that stuff. So the first thing I would look at in any leadership role is to what extent can I create more more influence and more empowerment for my people and how can I create more autonomy in those people's jobs so that they can walk away at the end of the day saying, I accomplished something today. I mean, that's the most powerful thought that a person can have in terms of their work. I've always found it interesting. Lots of people talk about empowerment. We've got to empower our people. And I always find that a funny term because I think people naturally are empowered. (laughs) We're all empowered in our lives, but the the systems and structures take that away, actually. So Mm. companies saying we're going to empower you they're still doing it to you, right? I find that uh, term quite funny. Yeah, and it's interesting when you find yourself as a leader in a business, let's say, where there is a history of, you could call it learned helplessness or apathy, those passive behaviours where people aren't stepping up, aren't making decisions. It can take some time to actually shift the dial on that because you first need to kind of equip individuals to start feeling like they can add value and provide the space for them to do it, to come forward and it takes some time to build a confidence before you really start seeing a shift, I think, in those behaviours. Yeah, I mean, the analogy, the metaphor that people use, I'm not sure whether it's technically true, but let's assume it is, that if you throw a frog into boiling water, it will jump immediately out. If you put it into cold water and slowly boil it, it will stay there and die. And so that's what happened to people in organisations. They adapt to the required behaviours of the culture and uh, become immune to other possibilities, really. Mm. Fantastic, guys. So if I can just sum it up a bit, We talked about what is a toxic culture, and we really talked about having to behave differently. So I've got to behave differently at work than I I would otherwise. And it's really that contradiction between what the society would deem appropriate and what 
the company says it stands for and what they actually do internally. And that that can go really either way. So it can go to the aggressive, bullying kind of side that we've seen, but also the sort of death, slow death, which I guess is the super, <laughs> super passive organization. The frog. It's the frog, exactly. It's the frog who realizes the water's slowly getting, well, doesn't realize the sl- water's slowly getting warmer. And then a bit around, so how do we deal with it? So as a, as a leader, it's really about you know, empowering people, letting them, involving them in decisions that affect them, giving them autonomy to make decisions, and basically uh, getting them to the point where they make a difference and they feel that and they believe that. That's where we need to think. And I guess as leaders, it's about looking at, okay, what messages are we sending and how are we sending them through the way we do things in the organization? And mm-hmm. that's how we design jobs, how we structure the organization. It all sends a message about how people are expected to behave. Yep. Fantastic, guys. Thanks for your advice today. Thank you. Thanks, Tom.